As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Welcome to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus, except it's not the University of Guelph. It is St. Patrick's Ward. That's as close as you get to the accurate location of one of our bases of operation. Uh, You can check us out on CFRU.ca. In case you're not already there, or you're on the FM dial, 93.3 FM, or on your favorite podcasting websites, because those all work, too. I am Jack, and I'm joined not by Joel, who has fled, like the coward he is, back to uh, pathetic West Coast Vancouver, or somewhere near Vancouver. I forget exactly. Uh, Instead, I'm joined by the lovely Kayla. How are you, Kayla? Hey, Jack. I am great. Do you know why you're great? Uh, no, Jack, tell me. Because you're not in Vancouver. You know what? That's so true. I'm just a little disappointed that we have to say it, to be honest. Um, I just feel like the West Coast is far from the best coast. If anything, it is maybe the weakest coast, the most vulnerable coast to catastrophic, you know, environmental failure. When that, when that fault line just takes Cascadia to hell with it but uh, you know hopefully it doesn't happen to joel i'm just saying the odds are way higher yeah for sure whoever called it the best coast was just trying too hard i think it feels a little you know a little forced but like most things in the west uh everything is just trying too hard and uh, has a giant chip on its shoulder android dungeon is a show about uh discounting an entire section of geographic areas in your country and also about games books movies music whatever happened to us as we walked into the studio and by studio i mean the office in the house or the living room in the house um kayla what have you been playing recently jack are we talking about board games or are we talking about like games that i've been playing lately well, if you want to talk about mind games, you're welcome to, but you might be tipping your hand a bit, but you're you're welcome to pick any game you like. Okay, Jack, I just want to quickly tell you about this game that I've been playing that I found in the Apple Arcade. Okay, this will be good. So we, we don't normally talk about mobile games because generally speaking, they are not good, but I think you're hooked on something. So please yeah. go ahead. This one is so, so good. So it's called Mini Mo- Motorways. And... The kind of like concept of the game is that you are building like roads through cities. So um, some of the cities are like Los Angeles or Dubai or Mexico City. And you're trying to get um, like cars from color coded houses to their respective businesses. So like red houses go to red businesses, blue houses go to blue businesses and the goal is to get lots of visitors. So the more visitors that you have and the longer that your city is running, the better. So time ticks forward pretty quickly. Each week you get an upgrade. So you kind of get to start to incorporate like roundabouts and stoplights and like freeways or motorways to make it more efficient. 
um, and bridges and tunnels through mountains. So kind of interesting. It starts out pretty slow and then it gets pretty rapid. Like they keep adding lots and lots of businesses. The cars get jammed up. There's lots of funny noises that Jack likes to make fun of. Um, <laughs> you really have to try to manage your roadways to get them where they're supposed to be going because if it takes too long, eventually the businesses are like, you know, they keep wanting more and more and more visitors. And if you don't fulfill that, they eventually like basically time out. Like you've run out of time to send them visitors and the game. So what you've just described and based on what I've seen, it's, it's like a very abstract, dumbed down, I don't want to say city builder, but more of like a traffic management simulation where you're, you're more concerned about creating roads and overpasses and bridges, et cetera, to get vehicles to locations in a way that doesn't lead to congestion that causes them to slow down or interfere in getting their to their location. Mm -hmm. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. So is this something that you think, is there strategy to this? Is it, is it a deep game or do you think it's just calming and that it's, mm -hmm. it's, there's enough of a challenge that keeps you there. So it doesn't feel like you're, it's boring, but there it's not too difficult so that you just put it down because you're frustrated or feeling too random that you can't succeed i think that like there are, there are definitely learned strategies on how to like best manage your city it's not like you know it's not a hardcore strategy it's definitely um uh i don't know it's not like deep strategy but it's definitely interesting and i think the pace that it moves at um helps as well because like i said it starts slow and it builds and builds and you're just trying to beat yourself like it keeps track of your like best runs so you're always trying to do better and the fact that you can like unlock different cities if you do well in other cities helps as well because there's some sort of like concept of achievement mm -hmm. it's while i've been looking at it i've been seeing that uh i i, I just Kayla like, might be kind of bored by this, but I keep looking at this game and saying, why aren't you playing SimCity? <laughs> like, I think you'd be having so much more fun. But I think it's like you, you mentioned that it's just uh, simple enough that... Oh, Kayla, there she is. She's back. It's, it's just simple enough that uh, it keeps you coming back more and it's not too frustrating. It's, it's not a, a hardcore simulation. It's not a hardcore game. Like, it, but this is free, correct? Um, well, like kind of, so, like I didn't pay for the game specifically, but I do have an Apple arcade subscription as part of like my various Apple services. Uh -huh. So it's not, it's not very, like, it's not very expensive. So, but it is, it is technically paid for. Yeah. So is there a distinct end to the game though? Or is it, do they just keep giving you, are there like 500 cities that you can go to? I've only seen like maybe 10 cities, but they also offer daily and weekly challenges, which are kind of like have different like constraints on them. So like sometimes it'll be like, okay, we're not, we're going to give you like one roundabout and that's what you got to deal with. And, or we're going to give you um, like what two traffic lights and then that's all you have. You never get more. So there's kind of like ways that they're tr definitely switching it up. And I think they are probably like adding more cities as they go on. So I don't know if there's a distinct end. I think it's definitely evolving. Um, there's actually, this is like the second game in this like mini series. The first one was called mini Metro and it's about building subway lines. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I downloaded it just to see what it was like because I I know that I'm really enjoying this game. Um, and it's much more abstract, and I just immediately was like, no, not not gonna work for me. I'm sure like if I gave another chance, maybe it'd be okay, but yeah. it was like the interface was not as engaging as mini motorways, so I gave it up pretty quickly. Yeah. So do you what what do you think it would take for you to graduate to something heavier? Like uh City Skylines or SimCity. Do you think you would ever do that or do you think it's just beyond you? Oh no, not at all. I mean, nothing is beyond me, Jack. I can play anything. Um <laughs> I meant more in the sense of what would compel you to make the leap. Uh, I don't know. Like, I feel like everyone I know that plays The Sims is like very obsessive about it. And I don't really want to do that. Um, I just don't really think that's me. I don't have a problem with Sims. I just, I like the flexibility of of the game that's on my iPad. I can take it wherever I want. I can play it in short bursts. I just feel like Sims is like a big commitment, which I don't really feel like making. Well, I want to be clear here too, that it's, I don't mean the Sims per se. I mean, Sim city uh, specifically like, uh, I think 3000 or 4,000. I could be wrong. Um, it, which is the, I think it's the last edition of sim city that people agree was a good one because they released the the most recent one and they they had locked up behind the always online and they basically just took a, a hatchet to the the game so really? nobody really likes it and we they, we had nobody's really gone back and tried it again but um it's it's actually remarkable what you can accomplish in sim city and the depth in which it's you know, kind of running in the background, but I can understand completely that. Well, <laughs> honestly, I've never played and I don't actually know what I know what the Sims are because I've definitely seen friends like talk about that and play it. But yeah. I don't know SimCity, so maybe I just need to be introduced to it and maybe I would find a new yeah. website. Well, maybe, maybe that's what we get. I, well, we have to figure out if it works on the uh, on app on the Mac. So Yeah. <laughs> uh, OK, great. Uh, last thing I'll ask you because you've been playing this is that would you recommend this as uh, to to people who have tablets or a better question if you don't have a tablet would you recommend it if you just have a smartphone? Uh, I really would not want to play this on my phone. I think that having the tablet is I haven't tried it on my phone, but I just think based on like the scale of the game that the tablet is really the best option. But if you have a tablet, if you have like an iPad and you have I don't know like what its availability is like outside of the Apple Arcade. Sometimes Apple Arcade is like proprietary about what they share. Mm. So I don't know if you have to have it or not. Maybe there's a way to get it without. Um, I definitely recommend it. I think it's fantastic. Look at that. There you go. Cool. All right. And what's the name again? One last time. Mini Motorways. Mini Motorways. Check it out. It has the Kayla endorsement. And hopefully you agree. So. I'm going to move on to uh, what I've been playing because we can both have a, uh, a both have a little chat about that. Or should I save that? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the one I did on my own, and then we can have a a, a, a chat together about uh, what we played together. Um, I got to play something that's been on my list for a while, which is Imperial Struggle by GMT Games and the same designers as Twilight Struggle. Uh, which is one of the, like the, for a lot of people, like one of the all time biggest games of all time. And it, for a long time, it was always, I think it was sitting, I don't know if it was like number one on Board Game Geeks, 
uh, list, but it was like top 10 material for a while. But anyway, the designers, uh, Ananda Gupta and Jason Matthews, came back again after designing Twilight Struggle, which came out in 2005, which is incredible to think about. 16 years later, well, I guess it was 15 years or 14 years later, with their sequel, Imperial Struggle. And Imperial Struggle is, yet again, it is a two-player card-driven war game uh, where you are focusing on each player takes on the role of one of these major powers set in distinct era. In this case, it's the 18th century. I believe it's from mid to uh, late end of it. Um, and one player is England and the other is France. And you are trying to, you're vying for supremacy of uh, planet Earth as far as your imperial ambitions go. And uh, anyone who is familiar with Twilight Struggle will be instantly at home with how the game more or less plays out um you have a map of the world and you have different areas uh that are split up into sections you have the caribbean you have north america you have europe you have the middle east and india um and each of these sections have little subsections and you are trying to uh, have your influence there and this is where the game kind of veers off a little separately from twilight struggle in that in twilight struggle everything you do was based on cards um, in Imperial Struggle, you are selecting tiles from a random pool of, I believe, nine. And each of these tiles has a couple of actions and numbers associated with them that allow you to perform actions uh, of varying strengths related to these numbers. And different things you do on the board cost different amounts, and you're limited with these quantities, more or less. So, uh, And in your hand, at the start of every round, you get three events. And the events, unlike Twilight Struggle, which were branded, you had uh, events that were good for the Russians, events that were good for the U.S. And if you want to play, let's say you were a Russian player and you, uh, you're forced to play a card, if it was a U.S. event, you're forced to give the U.S. that event, and then you take the points associated with it. In this game, they've gotten rid of the whole sort of playing a card that you don't like, because playing an event is always optional. And in fact, you have to pick a tile that's going to let you play the event. And in lieu of that, um, you each event always has two, uh, unless it's a, a neutral sort of event, always has a split between event that takes place if you're the English player or the event that takes place if you're the French player. And if I knew more about history, you could I'm sure these cards would mean a bit more to me in that it'd be, whoa, this is not how history was supposed to turn out. So this is kind of a bit of like an alternate history or what if take, but... Uh, the events are very powerful, but otherwise you're taking these basic actions on the board, which is, you know, building ships, putting influence down, pushing somebody away. Um, and then you also have uh, the scoring, which is split up between, it'll be randomly generated between the different areas. So one round, Europe may be worth lots of points. Or the next round, North America will be worth more points and so on. Um, so not only are you trying to have the most influence in those areas, you're also trying to control the trade goods. And each round, the trade goods will be randomly generated. And you'll also see that, oh, let's say tobacco is favored and cotton and sugar. But next round, you may get tobacco again, but now it's furs and fish and so on, so on. And then finally, there's also every turn, which takes place over four actions. Every turn, there is a board that is set up, uh, and that contains 
four different wars that are going to happen. And the wars are going to be resolved based on your influence in these areas that, and they'll say on the board where you have influence, what benefits it provides that theater, uh, but also hidden information that you're dumping soldiers into these areas. And you want to make sure that you have the most or highest numbers uh, in those areas as they resolve. And if you win the war, you get some victory points. If you win the war by X amount, you get even more things. So the game almost rewards you for really like decisively kicking the crap out of your opponent in a certain war. Um, and maybe accepting that you're going to lose another one. So you just throw in some stuff that hurts them in that one and, and so on. So uh, hopefully that doesn't sound too complicated. But And it really isn't that complicated. But the game is definitely one of those things that I think if you were putting it down and setting up for the first time and you had no understanding of how these systems worked, and this was maybe your first attempt at a heavier game, I, I think you, you could be in for a world of pain, even though it's, it's actually remarkably, uh, it flows very nicely. And um, so I played this for the first time, and I got thoroughly demolished, even though it took like four hours for that bullet to make its way, <laughs> four or five hours for it to make its way to me. Um, but I would play it again in two seconds, absolutely. Um, but I think it's definitely one of those games too that you it's, it would be ideal to play it with somebody. You're learning it for the same, first time with with somebody who's also learning it from this first time because I think it could be quite painful and unfun if you're learning it against somebody who really knows the system and knows how to play it properly and is not going to play with the training wheels on, which is can be good or bad depending on how you approach these sorts of things. But Anyway, that was Imperial Struggle by GMT Games, and uh, I, I'll, I'm going to put it over to you, Kayla. Do you remember Twilight Struggle? I do, like in the vague sense. Um, I'm pretty sure I won. Remember yeah, because I think uh, I nuked the world by accident. So. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I don't have a strong recollection of it. I know that this one is... Um... Sorry about that, Craig. Disconnected, Kayla. Please. Uh, so you're you're mentioning uh, you're re re recollecting mm -hmm. uh, Twilight Struggle. Yes, I'm trying to remember Twilight Struggle. I remember that I won, and that's really all that I remember. I just remember there's like a lot of cards involved. Yeah. It's been quite a while since we played. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's not my go-to game. I find it too. It, it it's very strategic in a way that is um, I find more confrontational than a lot of other two-player games that we like to play. That it feels like you're playing chess against somebody, and I I find that stressful. And yeah. It just not super fun, if that makes sense. Like I recognize it's a great game, but at the same time, I just find it super, like I said, stressful. Um. Do you think theme-wise, as someone who barely remembers Twilight Struggle, do you think if I put these two games down in front of you, which one would you be more intrigued by? The Cold War theme or the 18th century European powers theme? Eh, I think Cold War. Interesting. That's not what I thought yeah, you were going to say. Sure. Why? That's just uh, got reaction, I guess. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I think that's going to be for a lot of people, too, because Twilight Struggle has this sort of mythology built up with it, and it, it's known by a lot of people, versus mm -hmm. Imperial Struggle, that I think, if you're in the hobby enough, you know it, and you recognize it, but you just don't hear too much. So, 
Um, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I, I and I like I said, I would play it again in two seconds. I just don't think unless I saw it on sale, I definitely wouldn't run to pick it up because I think the odds are getting it on the table is going to be quite low. And mm-hmm. um, in, and additionally, the I would wait for a second or third edition of it just when kind of like they did with Twilight Struggle where they have the deluxe edition where right. they balance things out and figure it out because the edition Michael had even had. Um, I think he got mailed or it came with it. He had to sticker the boards and replace cards because there were misprints on the cards and the boards, uh, which is something that I don't think we've had to do since cottage garden. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you remember when we did that? We had to fix the, uh, the, the game board. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah. All right, great. Well, let's take a musical break. And when we come back, we will have a discussion about a game we played together. 1830. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was three tracks from the Quake soundtrack because in case you hadn't heard, they sneakily just dumped the Quake remaster onto all the online stores. Uh, a free update for all previous owners of Quake. And odds are, if you have a Steam account and are over a certain age, you already own Quake. And this was an incredibly, you know, pretty well-designed update that they pushed out. You can toggle between the new graphics, toggle between the new models, toggle between a bunch of other things. That uh, comes with all the expansion packs, and it includes two fresh expansion packs designed by professional designers. And um, it, it's been, it, it's like riding a beautiful, horrifying bicycle getting some fresh quake in and uh it's pretty difficult especially when you're playing on hard difficulty i don't play on nightmare that's too difficult but uh um the three tracks you heard were parallel dimensions life and damnation fantastic names and of course the music all comes from the one and only trent Reznor, who did the soundtrack for quake and uh if you don't know he was approached to do the soundtrack for quake 2 and took one look at the game and said, uh, this game has no theme or has no style or it's something along those lines. And so we got a totally different musical direction, which is still fine, but it's not nearly as memorable or frankly good as the Quake soundtrack. So anyway, three tracks, Quake. If you haven't played it, what's wrong with you? Um, when we went to break, we were talking about Imperial Struggle and also Kayla's Game du jour. What is it, Kale? One more time. Mini motorways. Mini motorways. You can get it on the Apple, uh, not even the App Store, like Apple Arcade is what they call it. Well, it's in the App Store, but it's part of Arcade. Like you have yeah. to have an Arcade subscription. Yeah. Uh, we played another game together, and it's one that we haven't gotten to play in a little bit. Um, but I think I've been angling to play it for a while because I've been reading a lot about it. And it's one of the classics. Like, it's one of the genre and game-defining releases uh, that really broke the mold as far as uh, games go, which is 1830 by Francis Tresham, the one and only. Uh, so we got to play this, four players, on the weekend. And uh, I think it went longer than I was expecting it to go, which is unfortunately what happens with 1830 if people aren't rushing trains as quickly as they should or could. Um, but in the end, I think we called it before the last set of ORs, but I think it wasn't going to change too much. There was still a lot of room to maneuver, to be honest, and I think we could have, there might have been some, uh, could, things could have changed a little bit. But long story short, Kayla was the, the winner of 1830 with uh, somewhere around $6,200, was it, Kayla? I think like 6043 6043 So we'll just say a cool $6,000 of sorts. Um, but I was trying to do a couple of different things and some stuff that I was fairly happy about at first, but then I kind of, my, my strategy kind of petered out uh, to, by, the, by the permanent trains when they showed up. Uh, but Kale, why don't you give me your thoughts on our game of 1830? Yeah, so 1830, first of all, the components, they really cheaped out on it and they kind of put 
some trains on the back of private companies. They put some trains on the back of other trains, which is really confusing and honestly annoying. Like, why mm -hmm. did they do that? Uh, it seems really unnecessary. Um, and then in terms of 1830, um, I really like 1830. Uh, I think that it um, is a good kind of like middle ground. I don't think it's like particularly complicated. I think it's pretty like solidly understandable and like accessible. I very much enjoy that it's um, set in like north america so there's lots of canadian cities to connect with um and then i think like in terms of like i don't know gameplay i think it's i mean it's obviously it's good it's an 18x game there's something about the purity of 1832 especially considering that we've been playing a lot of mechs for example um mm -hmm. and some 6167 that for those who don't know, 1830 uh, in the 18XX series is that it was a sequel to 1829 that a lot of people dislike, and you'll find very few defenders of 1829 because I think it had its own problems. But when 1830 came out, it was like, oh, holy smokes. Okay, this is the sequel that we were all waiting for. Um, so 1830, for example, has um, all the the elements that you recall uh, or that you know and love in these games, which is you're buying and selling shares in train companies, you're running the trains, you're paying dividends or withholding dividends, you're dumping stocks, and you're trying to have the most amount of money on hand and in shares or certificates at the end of the game. And the 1830s developed a reputation for being ruthless in terms of the financial shenanigans that a lot of games in the series like to reward you for running companies well, which is that uh, you take care of them, you, you gently bring them to high in stock price, and uh, you, you, you get there by withholding if you need to and always having trains for that company. Um, 1830, on the other hand, is full of people looking at the stock market, looking at your companies, buying shares in those companies, selling down those shares, buying new companies, bringing trains to those companies, looting them for every penny they're worth, dumping on the person to the left of you, just being as ruthless as possible, and you know, potentially even buying trains out of pocket because they know that if they buy a train for X dollars, theoretically, it could make you have to buy a more expensive train out of pocket too, and you're in a worse position than they are, and maybe even bankrupt them. And... We didn't get a lot of that stuff. I will say, though, that I did I did enjoy the, and I think this is something we all did as well, was that um, the, the idea that I think in the past with mechs, for example, um, we've been parring companies very high because we think, oh, it's good to have companies with a lot of cash in it because that means they can buy lots of trains. That's good, isn't it? Um, when in reality, I guess, all the pros say, and it makes sense if you think about it, that no, it, you want to par these companies cheaply because the trains are cheap. So you put them at a nice low price so it doesn't cost a lot to float these companies. And then you've got more money to buy shares in other people's companies that you can sell off or let appreciate or you're making more money on rather than having only a couple shares of this very expensive company. So it, it makes a lot of sense to par the companies cheap or low 
and then just gradually buy or an eight so in 18 max you can only buy one train at a time until certain phase triggers in 1830 for example you can buy as many trains as you want that's where the train rush comes in because if you've got the money you can just be <laughs> you can be very silly with your train purchases so i i think the it's a game that i want to play more and more of because i love mechs and i think i i I, I think it is a better game in so far as that I think it's um I, I think it as we play 1830, mechs is faster. But I think we're playing 1830 wrong, and I also think we're playing 18 mechs wrong too, the more I think about it, because it, it shouldn't be about running companies well. It should be about exploiting them and forcing other people to take hits and selling stocks down to start up new companies and get the train rush going. And I think that's something, then, and I'll ask, see if you agree with this, Kayla. I think we play too cautiously, generally. I think we play too nicely on that. It's rare to get serious, mean company dumps on people. Everyone's kind of plays pretty cautiously and pretty nicely because we see high-value stock prices on these companies, and we just want to keep them there versus seeing a high-priced stock company and saying, oh, boy, this is fantastic, and selling it down to start a fresh company and even ideally holding onto the president's certificate and then just shuffling them around and selling it down again to some other poor sucker. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's really true. Like, I think people just like, maybe it's just like a different kind of attitude. Like usually the people that we're playing 1830 with, uh, or sorry, 18X in general with, they're not like, they just want to have fun. It's not competitive. They don't care really. I mean, I'm sure they like to win, but it's not they're not putting a lot of pressure on themselves. Like they just want to enjoy it. And I think part mm -hmm. of enjoying it is like seeing your company be successful because you feel really invested in it. So I see where it comes from. I, and so I think it's kind of hard, you know, depending on who it is and, and how they want to play. Like, I think it's just really hard to push for that kind of approach. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause I think, you know, maybe we're like, you know, playing it wrong, but from the people who was playing, who are playing perspective, they're playing it right because they're having fun and their yeah. company is doing well and they feel like they're, you know, maybe playing tricks on other people and they are selling down periodically, but they're definitely cautious. I think it's just a different way of playing the game that's not like in line with the very like strategic forums that you probably are reading. Yeah. Well, I just mean more in the sense, too, it kind of speaks to a fragility of 1830. And one of the reasons I was hesitant to play it for so long is because the games tended to go on forever. And mm -hmm. I think part of the reason it goes on forever is that um, a lot of the, the pros who are playing say that like between 50 to 90 percent of the games they play at four players, for example, end in bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. which is just shocking to me because in all the times we've been playing 18xx, we've never had a single bankruptcy. And to me, that speaks to uh, an overly cautious gameplay style and a, a failure to rush the trains, which is not only an attack on your opponents, but also like a natural timer on the game. And sometimes these games just go on forever, like 1830, that can be like a six hour mm -hmm. game that it, I think really it shouldn't be that. It should be much faster because, frankly, the the root building and that sort of stuff is almost secondary to the financial shenanigans because yeah, dividends are great and it's nice to see some fat dividends. But I think until you get to the, the permanent trains and even then um, there, there is some room for s some hustling with perhaps if you see people are overly invested or you want to 
quickly siphon some good trains out of one company to into another and then still dump that empty company on someone. So now they have to pay out of pocket for diesel, which could be crazy. But generally speaking, I think up until the permanents come out, that's when the, there should be just relentless sort of shenanigans with regard to, you know, I'm selling down, I'm trashing your stock, I'm buying into this one, I'm starting another company, I'm shuffling trains between these guys, and I'm terrified of rusting stuff or getting things rusted on me. So I agree with what you're saying, though. If people are having fun managing those companies just nicely, that's good for them, and I hope they enjoy it. But I think for me, the, the joy of managing a company nicely is outweighed by the the time commitment of just staring at money slowly disappearing from the bank because it's not aggressive enough or it's just the mm -hmm. game isn't being moved quickly enough. Does that make sense? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Uh, so now that we've played 1830 and since we've played a lot of mechs, how do you feel about the two of them? I definitely prefer mechs. Like, no question. Now, why do you say that? It's really hard to pinpoint. I knew you were going to ask me that, and I'm really not sure. Um, maybe I think Mex is more fun. Maybe because it's Mexico-based. I'm not sure. But I think I do. Like, if I was going to play Mex, it also seems like it, it definitely moves quicker. Um, there's, like, a natural, like, if you push your stock all the way, I, the game ends, right? Like, that's Mex. Yep, if the stock hits the top, yeah. it's, the game ends. So... I don't know. I think there's like some incentive to like really push your stock hard and like try to be like, you know, really successful. So I just like mechs better. I can't really explain it. Sure. No, that's perfectly fine. And you know what? Mechs, I think, has its own strategy, too, with uh, apparently and this is something I've been. <laughs> so if I have time, I'll be reading stuff at the, the office and I'll send Kale screen caps of things. So she kind of gets a, a window into <laughs> what I'm thinking of at that time. Uh, but apparently something very powerful in these games, and it's apparently super powerful in 18 mechs, is uh, pushing companies into the yellow. And that's something we never, ever see. But when you drop a train company, uh, a public company, into the yellow section of the stock market, what happens is that certificate, those certificates no longer count against your limit. So essentially, they're free certificates and allows you to go over. And I think there's been a lot of times, and we even hit this in 1830, where you're at your certificate limit quite quickly, especially by mid to late game. So by keeping uh, companies down there and you are able to acquire these certificates, ideally, you're able to have an advantage over your opponents, theoretically. And the thing is, too, that requires you to withhold uh, strategically to keep the companies down there. But what's neat about having a company in the yellow, too, is that you can just have them there running and withholding and they just buy trains and can give trains to your other companies as well. And then when it gets down to the final set of ORs, you can just have them run and bump up their stock price for a little bit uh, in the process. So apparently it's super powerful to do that. And to, it'd be fun to kind of try, but it's a little tricky and kind of an advanced thing to pull off. So maybe we can aim for that in the future, just having some some yellow companies uh, but I just look forward to solving these games in the sense that it's, it's not like it's a puzzle that you can kind of sit there and say, oh, I know how to, I can win every time. But more to have a, a cohesive knowledge of how they work strong enough uh, to be competent in playing them with other people and, and kind of being able to execute a plan or, or look at the board state and respond appropriately with, with an, a decision that's intelligent versus kind of seeing things just going, you yeah, know, this feels good. I'm just going to 
do something that uh, looks kind of <laughs> looks nice. But where do you feel you're at in your your train game career, Kayla? Because I know I feel I feel like this is something that's been thrust upon you, and hopefully you enjoy them as much as I do. But uh, it's I think they they just endlessly fascinate me, and I I think they're my favorite games to play. I love train games. I've always liked train games. Um, 18x is definitely like a different type of train game. I think my like devotion is definitely quite a bit lower than yours. I'm not going to read forums to figure out how to play best. I'm happy to hear tips here and there, but I'm not going to like spend my days thinking about it. I'm happy to play. I think it's fun. But for me, like as with most games, I'm not here to win competition 18x. I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. here to have fun. And I mean, it's nice when I win, which ha- seems to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm not going to go wild about it. Fair enough. And that seems like a good place to end the show today. So thank you for listening to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM. Just check us out on all your favorite podcasting websites, on Instagram, on Facebook. Join the Guelph Board Gaming Group. You'll see us there. Uh, you'll see my alias there, at least. But that's where we chat a fair bit and post stuff about what we've been playing recently and also organize meetups. Hopefully we can get some games down the line it looks like october is the next time it's going to be clear enough for stuff to happen and september is extremely busy uh email us adradiocfru at uh, gmail.com i think that's it so i'm jack i'm kayla thanks for listening talk to you later bye